I am a Christian. Yes. I am a child of God. I'm a husband to Whitney. I'm a father to four children, a pastor for City Light. I'm a soccer fan. I'm a book reader. I'm about six foot one, 185 pounds, a little bit lanky. I got blue eyes. I got thick hair that makes Pastor Tyler uh, jealous. Um, And I'm I'm in my mid-30s. I'm I'm, I'm kind of grown up, and um, I still struggle with shame. You know, I, I got gifts, I got talents, skills and abilities, and I got shame. I've got weaknesses, and I make mistakes, and I struggle with shame. I sin, and I struggle with shame. I remember when I was about six years old, and I had my first experience with this thing called shame. Our family had gone out to some place, kind of a little ways away from home, and we were driving our old maroon Honda station wagon. And my parents let me take one of my favorite action figures, like G.I. Joe or like a starting lineup figure, Rafael Palmero, Andre Dawson, whoever it was back then, right? I got to take one of my favorite action figures. We go out there. I play with my action figure. Time passes. They're like, all right, let's head home, guys. And about halfway on the way home, my dad goes, hey, Doug, you got your uh, G.I. Joe? And the honest answer would have been, Nope, I totally forgot it, Dad. But that's not what I said. Instead, what did I say? Uh, yeah, yeah, Dad, I got it. Oh, okay, Doug, well, where is it? Um, uh, it's in my pocket. Yeah, it's in my pocket. And so my dad's totally picking up on my tone of voice. He's like, okay, well, could you just show it to me? Uh, um, you know, actually, Dad, it fell down and it's uh, at my feet. Oh, that's okay. Just pick it up and let me see it. Uh, you know, Dad, it rolled under your seat, and I can't reach it. I, I need to be really safe, Dad. He's like, oh, okay, Doug. And so the rest of the way home, I sit in the back seat of that station wagon, knowing that I lost my G.I. Joe. That's a bummer, number one. But even more, I had lied to my dad multiple times. And I was going to get home, and it was all going to be exposed. I felt ashamed. I wanted to hide. I wanted to shrink down like those kids. And honey, I shrunk the kids and run under the couch so that no one would notice me. Chances are, most likely, you have felt shame too. Maybe you wore the wrong name brand of clothes and the the students at school made fun of you. Shame. Maybe you made a little mistake at work, but now you really want to hide that mistake. Why? Shame. Maybe there's a secret locked back in your past that you plan to take to the grave with you. Why? Shame. Maybe there's something going on in your life that you know it hurts you and those closest to you, but when you've tried to stop, you can't stop, so now you're just pretending like, hey, it's no big deal. Why? Shame. You see, shame can really shape our lives more than we might imagine. Shame is a pretty big deal, especially when it gets wrapped up, woven into the fabric of our lives. When shame gets woven into the fabric of our lives and and we start living with shame, it usually plays out in one of two ways, okay? And this is where we jump into your notes. When you and shame start living together, it can drive you to hide. It can drive you to hide. It's like Adam and Eve, right? At the very beginning, way back at the beginning, They listen to the devil and they disobey God. 
Then they realize that they've sinned, and what do they do? They hide. They sow fig leaves for themselves to cover up their nakedness. And ever since then, people have been doing that. Except our fig leaves often are good behavior. We're really nice to people. Maybe we volunteer at church or some organization. Maybe we attend a city group, whatever it might be. We're using good behavior as, as fig leaves. We, we hide. It's like me in the backseat of that maroon station wagon. And I'm all of a sudden a really courteous to my parents. I sit perfectly still. I'm extra nice to my brother. I'm hiding behind good behavior so that my lies aren't exposed. Sometimes it drives us to hide, but sometimes shame, it will drive us to deny. Just to pretend like what we're doing, it's no big deal. We'll even flaunt what we're doing just to say, you know, help us think and help others say, oh, you know, it doesn't matter. It's not that big of a deal. Maybe you try to change, but you can't get rid of it. And so you think, well, the heck with it. I might as well keep doing it. And you feel trapped and you feel stuck. It becomes a habit, a pattern, an addiction even. Again, it's like me in the back of that maroon station wagon. I lie to my dad once. And then I lie to him again. And then I lie to him again. And again, might as well. I can't fix it now. Shame does that. Sometimes shame, it drives us to hide, to cover up, and sometimes shame drives us just to pretend like it's no big deal and just flaunt whatever it is that we're doing. So now in the book of 1 John, the Apostle John, he cares so much for his readers that he's willing to talk about this shame stuff. He's willing to talk about the elephant in the room, to just go there and help us talk about the very thing that we don't want to talk about. John talks about shame. And he picks it up in your Bibles. Look at 1 John 2, verse 28. Kind of starts a new section in the book of 1 John. Here's 1 John 2, verse 28. He says, And now, little children. He's so affectionate. He's gentle and tender. Listen, John, he's not coming with a hammer to pound us. He's coming as an empty-handed father so that he can hold us while he talks to us. And now, little children, abide in him, live in and with God, so that when he appears, when he comes back, okay, this is me in that station wagon, I've lied to my dad, and I know my hiding can't go on forever. It's going to come to an end. So that when God appears, we may have confidence a freedom and a frankness and an openness and honesty in our relationship with him so that we can have confidence and not shrink from him in shame. There it is. So that we won't shrink from him in shame at his coming. So John's goal in this text and our goal this morning is that we might taste and experience a little bit of that confidence and lose some of that shame. Can you imagine what that might be like? Could you imagine what it might be like if, if shame didn't affect, if it didn't haunt you in your life, if shame didn't slow you down or paralyze you in intimacy and relationships? Could you imagine what it might be like if your heart could be free, frank, 
open and honest with God and with others. John wants that for us. And so he says, I love you little children. And then he goes on, and what he's going to do now is he's going to lift up our eyes off of ourselves and say, look at these three aspects of God. Don't look inward. Don't look at yourself. Instead, look up, out, and away from yourself to behold these things about God. And he gives us three things about God in the first ten verses of chapter 3. But we're going to kind of take them in reverse order from what John gives us, okay? So go kind of towards the end of the passage. And the first one's going to be 1 John 3, verse 8. Go to verse 8. The first thing that John wants us to see about God. At the end of that verse... He says, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Okay, Jesus is the Son of God. One of the reasons he came was to destroy the works of the devil. That's massive, okay? That's just huge. It's got so many theological concepts and truths. So where do we even start? Let's just start with this. What are the works of the devil? As John says this, what's going on in his mind? What are the works of the devil? And so you start looking around in that passage to get some clues as to what are the works of the devil. And you read verse 7. Let no one deceive you. And then you keep on going and you're reading verse 8. And it says, the devil has been sinning from the beginning. So you start putting these, to, these things together, right? Deceit sinning from the beginning, and you start to see that the business, the works of the devil, are perpetual sins that are hidden by lying, hidden by deceit. Satan is in the business of deceit. Satan is in the business of lying and hiding. That's what he did with Adam and Eve back in the beginning. He lied to them, and that's what he's still doing even today, this morning. He's lying to you, and he's lying to me. Satan holds business workshops, and he tries to get people to pay and sign up so that he, and the advertisements for those business workshops are, come and listen to me lie to you and teach you to lie to others. And sometimes it it can start, the shame thing and these lies and deceits, they can start with an honest mistake. Just this past week, um, I realized that through my error and my mistake, our family spent some money that we shouldn't have spent. I, I majorly botched our budget, and we ended up spending some money that we just shouldn't have. It, it was for something else. We spend that money, okay? I come to the realization that it's my mistake and we spend the money, and I have to say to my wife, Whitney, I messed up. We had this money, and I botched it. I messed up our budget, and we spent that money that we shouldn't have spent. It's gone. I'm sorry. It was an honest mistake, but when I came to that realization, I had this temptation, a real, very real temptation, that I could lie to my wife about that. I could hide that. I could, you know, blame it on something else or just play dumb about it, pretend and hope maybe that will go away. And, and I've seen spouses do things like that to one another to the tune of thousands of dollars of debt, multiple secret credit cards, separate bank accounts. They lie to one another, deceive one another. They, they hide from one another. And that hiding, that lying, that deceit, John says, that's the works of the devil. And it usually starts by him lying to you. 
it's not that big of a deal. It's not going to really matter. You know, your wife doesn't care about you, so go ahead and flirt with the secretary. It's not that much money, so don't report it to the company. He lies to you, and then you lie to them. That's the business of Satan. And underneath it all, the real driver, the, the, the force in this is shame. You've done something wrong, whether it's an honest mistake or a flat-out flagrant sin, and now you're trying to hide it. You're sewing some fig leaves together to cover it up, and you lie. Some of you, you're stuck right now. You're trapped in a web of lies that you have spun. You've unwittingly partnered up with the devil in his best of businesses, and you have lied to your spouse, to your children, to your employer or your employees, to your roommates or to your classmates, to your friends, to your family. You have lied. It may have started with a little lie, and now it's grown into multiple lies. And John is writing here as a father to children. He's saying, listen, Jesus came to destroy those lies. One of the reasons Jesus showed up, one of the reasons he came to this planet in the first place was to destroy the works of the devil, to do away with with those lies, to do away with that deceit. Jesus came to get rid of those things. And John, he has to be straightforward on this because for For a liar, it's really difficult. Like life gets tricky and tangled up because they have to keep track of a little lie or a big lie. And John just has to come straight forward and say, hey, listen, Jesus showed up to get rid of that. Stop thinking about your lies and start thinking about Jesus. Jesus came to just push down your house of cards, let them fall on the table, and be the one who gets your attention. You're planning, you're scheming, you're dreaming, you're thinking. Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil, to get rid of lies and deceit. That's the first way that God deals with our shame. (laughs) By simply exposing our lies, right? But here's the problem. Once your lies get exposed, it's, well, like, it's really exposing, right? Like, you're out there in all your ugliness to be seen, No one likes that experience. Yikes. So that leads us to John's second statement about God. First he says, Jesus exposes our lies. Then he goes on the second statement about God. So we're going to go backwards now in the passage. So go back up to um, chapter 3, verse 5. Second statement. John writes, you know. Okay, City Light, listen. You know what I'm about to say, okay? I'm just going to give you a heads up. It's nothing new. We say it all the time here, okay? You know, you've heard this. It's in your heart. What is it? That he, Jesus, appeared to take away sins. And in him, there is no sin. Okay, now that your lies are exposed, your sin is out there, your scarlet letter is plain for all to see, John reminds us that Jesus' response to our sin is to take it away. What a delightfully wonderful way for Jesus to respond to our exposed sin. We're used to people exposing our sin or our failures or our mistakes and then harping on them and highlighting them, making a big deal of them. It's like, students, imagine you take um, 
a math test or whatever subject you're not so good at. You, you take that test and you know you didn't do good. And then you turn it into your teacher, right? And then you always have to wait a couple days. And so in those days, you're kind of either hiding or you pretend like, oh, who cares about that test? You know, whichever one shame's driving you to. But then you get that test back and you're like, oh, this is not going to be good. You get that test back and just sprawled across the papers, this is big F. You failed, right? And then they got the red, they always used these like permanent red markers, right? And they're like highlighting all your mistakes, all your errors. You messed up here. You forgot this step. You did all these things. It's like they write the F, extra big. Failure, right? Your teacher is magnifying your mistakes. Or it's the same reason why some videos go viral on the internet. Someone does something just stupid, right? Just downright hilariously shameful. I, I did this yesterday. I was just trying to kick the soccer ball to my son, and I, like, stub my toe, fall on the ground. It's one of those things where, like, your kids aren't like, oh, Dad, are you okay? They're laughing at me, okay? My wife is like, oh, you're groaning like a woman in labor. I'm like, oh, boy. It hurts, right? Okay? Or, or maybe, like, you know, someone gets a huge tattoo on their arm, and they misspell the word. Whatever it is, okay? And then their friend... Click, takes a photo, gets a video of it, throws it up on YouTube, and all of a sudden we have multiple websites, a whole like region of the internet devoted to epic fails, right? The world tends to highlight our failures. The world and the devil, they want to make a big deal of our failures, our mess-ups, our hang-ups. They want to try to identify us and define us by our sin. They want to take our sin and glue it to us and make us think that we can't ever get disconnected, free from, released from our sin. That's how the world and the devil react to our failures or our sins. But listen, Jesus is so different Jesus is so different. Now, here, Jesus is anything but flattering about our sin, right? I mean, he's willing to look at us and say, you're doing the works of the devil. That's honesty, right? You know, like, when was the last time someone said, hey, you're doing the works of the devil? You know, you're like, well, you dug just five minutes ago in this sermon. Okay, other than me, when was the last time someone said, you're doing the works of the devil? right? And later on in chapter 3, he's like calling people children of the devil, okay? So Jesus is anything but flattering about our sin. He's honest about our sin, but then when we get honest about our sin, Jesus' response is to say, I will take that sin away from you. I will remove that stain. I will lift that shame off of you. And so I want to invite you this morning, please hear me. Give your sin to Jesus whether it was 12 years ago, locked up and hidden in your past, or it was 12 hours ago, give your sin to Jesus. He promises to take it from you. He will have it. He will say, I will make that mine. I will release you and take it from you. And then John does this amazing thing in verse 5. He sticks two phrases right next to each other. Jesus takes away our sin, and in him there is no sin. Jesus is so holy and pure and righteous. He is so good, so true, and so clean that when he takes our sin from us, our sin doesn't get stuck on him. Instead, our sin gets swallowed up in his righteousness. It's this 
illogical, amazing, theological, almost unbelievable truth. Your sin, it's dark, it's dirty, and it causes you shame. But Jesus says, here, I will take that. He takes it to the cross, dies for it, scorns the shame, Hebrews 12 says. And then all of a sudden, you and he both are standing there righteous, clean, and pure. It doesn't stick with him. He emerges on the other side of the cross, absolutely righteous. And so you're standing there pure. You're clean. You are white and bright. And Jesus, he is clean. He is pure. He remains white and bright. What a beautiful, amazing reality that happens when we get honest about our sin. And Jesus says, I will take that away. Now, do you really want to stay in your web of lies? Do you really want to persist in sin? Do you really want to keep on practicing and nurturing sin? Do you want to keep sowing those fig leaves together? Because Jesus is offering. He's, he's promising to you that he will destroy the works of the devil and take away your sin in such a way that both you and he are utterly, completely, thoroughly, fully, delightfully free. Give your sin to Jesus this morning. I can just envision some of you saying, oh, no, oh, no I'm going to hold on to this sin, Right? It's precious to me, or I got to hold on to this sin and I got to pay for it. I got to hold on to this sin. It just defines who I am. No, John's saying, please give that sin to Jesus. Just give it over to Jesus. And so John is lifting our eyes up off of ourselves to behold that Jesus destroys the works of the devil and then Jesus takes away our sin. But as good as that is, he's not done yet. There's a third aspect of God that he wants us to see. We, we kind of got trapped in the shame by looking at ourselves. Now we're looking up. And what do we see next? Keep tracking back in chapter 3. Go to verse 1. 1 John 3, verse 1. John writes, See what kind of love the Father has given to us. See it. Look at this. Behold this. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. So here's the deal. Even after Jesus has destroyed the works of the devil and taken away your sin, there might be lingering doubts about you and he's relationship to one another. Does he really care about me? Or is this just like what he's supposed to do for everybody, right? This is kind of Jesus' job, so he's, he kind of has to do it for me too. Does he really care? Like, does he even want to hear from me? Does he want to be near to me? Does, does he, like, care about me? Or is, or is he saying, hey, I did this for you, now you better measure up. Is he just going to hold this over our heads for the rest of our lives, and we're going to have to constantly keep paying for it, constantly keep measuring up? I did this for you, you better not screw it up. Is he that kind of father? Now, some of you, that, that's your understanding of Christianity, you think that Christianity is Jesus died on the cross for your sins. Now you better measure up and prove to him that was a good decision. If that's how God relates to us, it does not help us with our shame. In fact, it only multiplies our shame every time we make a mistake or commit a sin thereafter. 
But thankfully, that is not how God relates to us. That's not how God responds to us. Instead, in the moment that we need it most, he reassures us of his enduring, eternal, otherworldly. What kind of love is this? Eternal, fatherly love that he has for us. See what kind of love the Father has given to us? That we should be called his children. It's like one of my children. I have four kiddos. It's like one of my children. They disobey my wife while I'm away at work, right? Now, that's not hard for me to imagine, but let's say they disobey my wife while I'm away at work, and she says, well, you just wait till your dad gets home. Now, anybody ever hear that as a kid? Yeah, I I heard that too. So let's say that happens, and then I come home for work, and that child just chooses to be totally honest with me, just full-on confesses their disobedience, doesn't hide anything, just puts it all out there. And I respond by saying, child, I'm going to incur the cost of that sin. I'm going to take on your disobedience. And men, whatever relationships got broken because of your disobedience, I'm going to fix whatever went wrong because of your choice to sin. That child's going to go, cool, dad. Like, thanks. Why are you doing this, dad? My answer's simple, right? What's my answer? Because I love you. You are my child. When I, in that story, as the father, when I do that for my child, I effectively remove their shame from them, right? Because they have nothing more to hide. They've put it out there for me to see. They have nothing left to pay. I've paid it for them, and they have no lingering doubts about our relationship. I have reassured them of my fatherly love for them. They're safe. They're secure in my fatherly love. Or let's go back to me in the backseat of that maroon Honda station wagon one more time. It's like we get home, and my dad sits me down, and he says, Doug, I know you're lying. Yeah, I mean, any dad, any mom, you know when your kids are lying. Doug, I know you're lying. You've lied to me multiple times. The truth is, you lost your G.I. Joe. You left it there. And I'm like, crud. And then he says, I'm going to go buy you a new one. I'm like, awesome. This is great. Dad, what do I owe you? How much does that cost? Like, I'm a little kid. I don't know how much money. How much do I owe you? Why are you doing this, Dad? And he says, Doug, you owe me nothing. I'm doing this because you're my son. I love you, my beloved son. Now, when my dad does that for me, he effectively removes my shame from me because I've got nothing left to hide. He saw right through my web of lies, right? He went right on through there. There's nothing left to hide. I've got nothing left to pay because he's making all the repairs, even to the extent of buying me a new G.I. Joe. And I've got no lingering doubts about my relationship with him because he has assured me and shown to me his fatherly love to me by calling me his child. That is is how God loves you. That's how God cares about you. He could have called you slave. He could have called you servant. He could have called you employee or intern. He could have called you liar or loser. He could have called you mess up or mistake, but he chooses. He calls you child. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called his children? And so we are, really, literally, seriously, we are his children now. 
We are no longer mere slaves, no longer mere employees, no longer mere pawns in his worldwide game of chess. He has brought us near, welcomed us with his love, with his affection to be his children. I, I love, can I just say, I love my children. I like them a lot, okay? They are a delight to me, all four of them. The way they smile, the way they laugh, the way they are goof off, the way they're godly, the way they have faith, whatever it is they're doing, I love it about them. When my daughters smile, I feel like I could hug them and hold them forever. When my son says, Dad, look at this, and I look, there's some sort of like immeasurable pride that's just welling up and overflowing out of my heart. I'm like, that's my son. When they obey, when they disobey, when they laugh, when they cry, when they fall down and when they get up, I love my children. And my wife and my children, except for my youngest who can't talk, but my wife and my children, they will tell you I am an imperfect, a very impatient, a selfish and a sinful father. I am. But oh, our father in heaven... He is perfect in his love for us. He is abundantly patient in his love for us. He is selfless in his love for us. He is sinless in his love for us. Can you imagine what he feels for you? Can you imagine what he feels about you? And right now, for some of you, Satan is lying to you. As you process that question, what does my heavenly father feel about me? Satan's lying to you. Remember, that's his line of work. That's how he gets his income. Satan's lying to you about yourself and about your father. He's saying, you know, that's good and that's true for everyone else in this room except for you. You know, you you can't get out of this. You're stuck in this. You're never going to be free from this. If God really knew what you did, if God really knew what was done to you, he couldn't love you. He wouldn't love you. Now, listen. Look at me and listen. Those are lies. Okay? Those are lies. God made sure. He was certain that the truth got written down in the Bible so that we could read it and reread it, believe it and rebelieve it. And the truth is, God sees right through your web of lies and He knows exactly what you've done or what has been done to you. And Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. And yes, the truth is you can be free. Those sins can be unstuck from you. You can be released. God sent his only son, Jesus Christ, to the cross. And when you give your sin to him, he goes to the cross, scorns the shame, and your sin all of a sudden gets swallowed up in his righteousness. And God loves you as his child. God loves you as his child. I've got a lot of acquaintances in life. I've met a lot of people. I've got a decent amount of friendships. And to a greater or lesser degree, I've loved a lot of people in life, even in my short life. But I've only called four of them my children. I've only loved four of them with a fatherly affection. And God calls you child. That is the truth. So here's how I want us to wrap up this morning. I, just, I want us to pray 
and ask the Father, help us to believe these things. Help us to hear and receive the truth of what you're saying in 1 John. Would you pray with me? Where you are, you can close your eyes, do whatever helps you to pray. And I just want you to start talking with God. You can interact with him. And you can ask him that question right there. Father in heaven, what do you feel about me? What do you say about me? And as you listen, I'm just thinking there's some of you this morning that you probably need to take some action. You need to voluntarily expose your web of lies. Yes, God sees right through it. You're you're hiding nothing from him. But you need to voluntarily expose that to be honest about it with someone. Others of you, you need to trust that Jesus has removed your sin. It is no longer stuck to you. He made it his and it got swallowed up in his righteousness. And then I think there's probably some of us also who we just need to realize that Christianity is not a a measuring up and paying God back to prove that he made a good decision. It is a receiving of the Father's love through his Son, Jesus Christ. And so just pray and ask God to help you receive love from him. There's going to be some folks in the back, just a prayer team, some prayer partners. It's our delight to pray with you. So if you want to talk about something little or big, come on back and we're going to pray together. Father in heaven, we we welcome you now. Would Would you come and minister to our hearts? Would you come and pour out love on your people? For those in the room this morning who they haven't given their life to Christ yet, would you pour love into their hearts and may they just give their life over to Jesus? Help them to know they don't have to pay for their sin. It's been paid for by Jesus. For those who feel trapped in their sin, get them unstuck. Those trapped in lies, see right through it and give them the grace to go voluntarily open up and talk about that. And for those who feel like orphans, who feel unloved, would you just pour out your love on them through your Holy Spirit? We're going to stand and we're going to sing. I encourage you, don't check out, don't run out, don't skin out yet. Stand with us and let's sing and pray. If you want to pray with someone, we'll be in the back. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.